Hello, this is Bob Phillips. Welcome to this month's issue of the Archimedes Podcast, where we discuss the clinical questions and critical appraisal notes that are part of this month's Archimedes from the Archives of Diseases of Childhood. For those of you who aren't aware, Archimedes is a section published approximately bi-monthly where clinical questions are answered in an evidence-based fashion. Somebody has framed a well-constructed clinical question of the sections of patient, intervention or test, comparison sometimes, and the outcomes of interest, and then gone ahead to conduct a systematic search of the medical literature, collect together that information, and appraise the highest quality elements in order to come up with what is a practical clinical answer. Each month has three clinical questions and a short snippet about the practice of evidence-based medicine or critical appraisal. And this month we'll start with that. Its title is Tarnished Gold. What can you do when a gold standard isn't actually that good at diagnosing a condition? It can be terribly problematic if you're interpreting the sensitivity and specificity of a new test. For example, comparing polymerase chain reaction diagnosis of a microbiological infection with standard culture results. The false positive may actually reflect a real and otherwise missed diagnosis and the false negative, a failure of the old standard to accurately identify someone who isn't really unwell. I suppose one thing to hold on to is that at their core, most diagnoses are a shorthand for a similar group of pathologies that lead to a similar set of outcomes. For instance, what's bronchiolitis? What's leukaemia? It may be that with some conditions, a new diagnostic test needs first to be evaluated as a prognostic marker or a risk stratification aid, and then it emerges as a diagnostic criterion. And if you want a good story that goes along that line, look at the Philadelphia chromosome and how we think about leukaemia in that regard. You see, with many tests that give continuous outcome values, it becomes potentially more meaningful to think of them as a graded indicator of how likely something is, rather than being positive or negative. Now, with thinking along that line, it can be tricky to split hairs and decide what's a prognostic test and what's a diagnostic test. And certainly I think that it might be worth considering them all as predictive factors or predictive tests and then how you wish to interpret them, thinking of them as risk ratios or hazards of more likely that something is going to happen, or as sensitivity and specificity if you want to split it into the presence or absence of a condition. It all depends on how you need and want to use them in clinical practice. Now, thinking about diagnosis and prognosis is fairly much at the core of the question is ultrasonography required to rule out congenital anomalies of the kidneys and urinary tract in babies who are born with isolated preauricular tags or sinuses? This question has been asked by Andrew McArdle, who's a paediatric academic clinical fellow at the Institute of Child Health uh, and co-authored uh, by Dr Schroff, a consultant paediatric nephrologist at Great Ormond Street. It's a fairly standard situation. You're undertaking well newborn baby checks and you note that a baby has got a preauricular sinus, otherwise completely fine. You're not particularly bothered about it, but a colleague points out that this is a marker for renal abnormalities and that the kid should really be referred for an ultrasound of the tummy and kidneys. Now, the consultant reckons that this is completely unjustified. And with that sort of debate, you decide to search for the evidence to see what the answer really is. Now, this group have gone away and they've looked through a series of things and pulled together 
12 different articles with six cohort studies, four case series, um, and a case control series, which updates the previous Archimedes. They've extensively reviewed this evidence and come up with a clinical bottom line that suggests that really, the consultant's right. The risk of a preauricular sinuses and preauricular tags actually being linked to an, an increase in renal abnormalities is very small and probably not worth undertaking extra examinations and worrying the parents. The second question in our series this month refers to something really quite different and this is, is methylphenidate a useful treatment for cancer related fatigue in children? The scenario is one that some people may well have come across in that a nine-year-old boy who's had a brain tumour and received, comes back to outpatients for review after treatment. But he's currently seriously affected by fatigue and his parents have been on the web and found out that methylphenidate has been used to treat fatigue in this sort of situation in adults. And they ask as to whether this is an option for their child. This time, a team from Bristol led by Victoria Sharp, have looked at the evidence that underlies an answer to this question. That sort of problem of non-specific fatigue in cancer patients and patients off treatment is very, very variable um, depending on what studies you're looking at, um, but is present at probably more than half uh, of the people who are undergoing treatment. It has been explored extensively in adults, but looking at children, it's really very difficult to say whether there is any significant benefit or not, as no studies have been done in the area. In a way, this is quite surprising, given that childhood cancer has one of the best developed networks of clinical trialists, and that undertaking to follow up children who have been treated for cancer in childhood as part of a lifelong surveillance for adverse effects is embedded in national guidance and has recently had a rather large Department of Health team working on how to improve this. The evidence in adults is uncertain, with some studies showing a benefit and others not showing a benefit. The clinical bottom line is very tricky, really. There is no data to support it, but there's evidence for use in adults. So what do you do in this situation? Now, sometimes it can be beneficial to undertake a very systematic analysis, giving the treatment for a period of time and then removing it for a period of time and seeing if there's a benefit in a type of N of 1 trial. And that is one way of doing things, especially if you're working with people that have used methylphenidate previously, for example, in the treatment of ADHD. The final question in this month's Archimedes, again, refers to a completely different area. And this is, does intranasal sumatriptan relieve migraine in children and young people? Now, migraine is a very common headache syndrome and as a 13 year old with a recent diagnosis of migraine comes in who's been looking at treatments and not wanting to use them again the parents come in asking what about this that we found on the internet intranasal sumatriptan because he doesn't like taking medicines maybe a spray up the nose would be the way forwards this subject again has been looked at across multiple databases and drawn down to four trials that look at this area. Intranasal sumatriptan has been shown to be beneficial in controlling migraines in children, but these are all trials against placebo rather than trials against other 
active treatments and so it's difficult to definitely know that it's the right way forwards. It's also noted that by squirting sumatriptan up your nose you do get taste disturbance and that this is the most commonly recognised side effect. Now, of the studies that have been looked at, there have been a couple of meta-analyses that show that the number needed to treat is around about 7 compared to placebo. It's a difficult situation to deal with in practice. It may be that, again, what's needed here is discussion with the parents, with the child, as to which is the medication that they would like to try next. It may be that sumatriptan is the right way forwards as an intranasal preparation for this child and that actually that taste disturbance is well worth the benefit of not having to take pills. So, that's another month's worth of Archimedes and critical appraisal note done for. We'd love to hear your feedback, either by leaving comments on the website, emailing us, or following us on Twitter at ArchieADC, and leaving your comments on both the podcast, Archimedes generally, and anything that you think we could do to improve your evidence-based paediatrics experience. Thank you for listening.